One of the rules uh, for preaching, if you're not a preacher, you don't know about these rules, but there's rules. One of the rules is don't apologize. Ryan and I are always getting after each other. Don't apologize. Don't apologize. You know, don't, don't apologize during the sermon. Uh, but I'm going to start this sermon with an apology, so I'm breaking the rule right off the bat. Uh, this is about Advent and healing. But what I know about healing can fit. Actually, let me change that. What I think I know about healing could fit in like a shot glass. And so I really need your prayers this morning. I, I want to pray with you and you pray for me that the Holy Spirit just takes over. Because the Holy Spirit knows everything about healing. <laughs> and I know a little shot glass about healing. And we're going we're gonna to drink that shot glass this morning. So... Uh, here goes, and let's, uh, let's pray. Father, pray that the, the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth would be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Holy Spirit, pray that you crash this party, that you break down that wall, as the song said, and come after us, come after me. Jesus, I pray that you would be glorified in some small way this morning. Pray this in your name, amen. All right, no more apologies. Fingers crossed. Advent is about healing because it's about Jesus coming. Jesus coming the first time, being born as a baby, living and dying. And Jesus coming back someday to take us home. And one of the things that the scriptures tell us is that Jesus came as a healer. Jesus came as a healer. In fact, the scriptures call Jesus the great physician, the great doctor. Jesus came as a healer. Uh, the gospels are full of stories about healing. If you look through a good majority of the content of the gospels and the content of the gospels and the content of other books in the in the Bible, uh, New Testament, are about healing. Our, in our day, we are very, very concerned about healing. One of the big issues of our time is about health care. What do we do about health care, health care, health coverage? This problem has not been solved. So if Jesus came as a healer and we as his followers are to be like Jesus, and in some way we are to be healers as well. But what does that mean in our day and age? What does that look like? It 
you know, when I was doing this sermon, when I was working on this sermon, I was sick. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm going to do a sermon on healing, and I'm sick as a dog. Strange. It was a very weird uh, feeling. But I'm going to try to get at this, uh, this subject as I often do, by trying to get at it through some of the stories in my life and some of my experience and try to come to the Gospels and go from the Gospels into what I've experienced and uh, we'll see what happens. Oh, that was an apology, wasn't it? Stop that. Okay. So the uh, title for this sermon could be A Tale of Three Accidents. And these accidents are roughly separated by 20 years uh, of, of, of length between them. So this first accident is roughly 40 years ago. Uh, when, when I was in college, I went to San Diego State University. Uh, my undergraduate work, I was a religious studies major. And a religious studies major is someone who studies all of the world's religions and a few that aren't spread across the world. Uh, a few of my professors had their own religions that they were teaching in at San Diego State, and so I was studying those as well, even though I didn't really want to. Uh, so I was at San Diego State. Kelly and I were married. Uh, I had gone to school one day, and I rode a motorcycle back in those days, a little Honda 175, blue gas tank, and blue. I had a blue helmet, although I didn't always wear my helmet because in California at that time, there were no laws about wearing your helmet, kind of like here in Colorado. You can or you can't. But for some reason that day, I decided to put on my helmet, wear my helmet to, to school. So I went to school and I went to class and my class that day was in Buddhism. So I took this whole class, an hour, hour and a half, studying Buddhism talking about different things uh, that are part of Buddhism. Then I got out of class and got on my motorcycle and started home. As I was going home, I was going down this big uh, thoroughfare road, uh, going faster than the speed limit, unfortunately. Just the way I drove back then. I was driving about 50 miles an hour on my motorcycle, I went to check my rearview mirror to look uh, behind me. When I looked back from my rearview mirror, all I saw at about, it was about this close where the podium is, all I saw was this white piece of a car. So I hit this car at 50 miles an hour and then everything went black. Now, this doesn't really have to do with healing, but i got to share this part because it's very weird. So I'm knocked out. I'm in this black blackness, and I am completely knocked out. And I'm, I'm, and then this voice comes to me. And this voice says, Dan, you're in nirvana. And nirvana is the place in Buddhism where you can end your suffering. If you make it to nirvana, you don't suffer anymore. You can choose to stay there 
and you're freed from suffering. So this voice comes and says, Dan, you're in nirvana. And I'm like, what? Dan, you are in nirvana. And for some reason, I just didn't trust that voice. I, I wasn't trusting it. I felt weird to me. I'm like, no, I'm not in nirvana. And the voice said, yes, Dan, you're in nirvana. I'm like, no, I'm not in nirvana. I'm not in nirvana. So I, I was arguing with his voice. Next, I woke up in the middle of the street. And as soon as I opened my eyes, I realized I was in trouble. Because if you've ever seen those old-time cartoons like Tom and Jerry and the Roadrunner and, and uh, the Coyote, whenever they hit something or are hit on the head with like a giant hammer, you know, everything goes like that in the cartoon. Or they run into the wall and it goes... So when I opened my eyes, everything was swinging back and forth just like that. And I couldn't, I couldn't focus on anything. Everything was going like this. And I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble and I'm laying in the middle of the street, and I'm surrounded by people. And I'm in trouble. So I start thinking that I should pray. Well, there's something you should know about this era of my life. A few months earlier, uh, Kelly and I were talking about ways to commit ourselves more to God and to, to love people Better And in that time back in the 80s, uh, there was a, a bad, bad famine in Ethiopia. It was all over the news for years. And so I said to Kelly this few months earlier, hey, Kelly, you know, the scriptures teach us to trust God daily, and we should trust God. And why don't we take our insurance money, because we're not sick and we don't need it. Let's take our insurance money and Give it to those people in Ethiopia who are in famine and dying right now. And Kelly said, okay. Not that she would today, but she said, let's do that. So we took our money, and so I wake up in the middle of the street. I'm in trouble, and I'm thinking, oh, God, I have no insurance. I have no way to pay for this. So I start praying and bargaining with God. God, you got to heal me. You know I gave that money to the Ethiopians. I'm laid here in the street. You got to do something, God, because Kelly's going to kill me. This is a huge, it's going to be a huge bill, and I need help. And so I'm praying, and people are surrounding me, and really soon the ambulance shows up. I guess I was knocked out for quite a while. And the ambulance shows up, and I'm like, oh, I can't. Lord, just heal my body, heal my body, please heal my body. Hitting a car at 50 miles an hour doesn't lend itself to a good healed body or head. So the, the ambulance came and the paramedics got out and they said, uh, I said to the, they looked me over and they said, well, we're going to have to take you to the hospital. And I'm like, no, I can't, I can't pay for it. I, I, I'm just going to get up and, uh, and go home. And they laughed. The paramedics just laughed in my face. They had seen enough motorcycle accidents. They're like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, get up and walk. Go ahead. You go home. And they're laughing and laughing. Oh, yeah, get it. Yeah, just stand up and walk home. 
I could not move anything in my, I couldn't move at all my body. So they say, oh, then they're like, oh, you can't move. I guess you want us to take you to the hospital, don't you? I'm like, okay, you know. So they took me to the hospital. Uh, Turns out, though, that God was working, that I got to the hospital, and there was nothing on my body, in my body that was broken, that I was okay. I was just sore from the trauma of the accident, but nothing was wrong with me. I, I mean, I almost got uh, turned into a eunuch by the mirrors on the motorcycle because when you fly over the handlebars, the mirrors tend to want to grab, and so there's long, there were long streaks <laughs> up <laughs> from my chins up my body. Anyway, but I'm not, I, I do have two kids, so I'm not a eunuch. <laughs> and where was that, where did that come from? Eh, okay. Anyway, the reason I share this story is because for me, even at that time in my faith, in, at that stage in my faith, somehow I knew that healing goes together with other things. Healing partners with other things. In the Bible, you rarely ever hear talk about healing or see healing where there's not a partner coming into the scene. Like Jesus, when he heals someone, he says, your faith has made you well. Faith becomes a partner with healing. At other times, it's forgiveness becomes a partner with healing. Remember when uh, the guys brought their friend on the on the stretcher to Jesus, they couldn't get in, so they ripped the roof apart of, their, of a house and they lowered him down in front of Jesus so that Jesus would heal him. Well, the first thing Jesus says is, your sins are forgiven. He didn't say you're healed. He said your sins are forgiven. And then he says, just so you know that I have authority to forgive sins Get up and walk. And he got up and walked. This is the story all through the Bible. Healing is partnered up with other important values for the kingdom. Some of the places, if we we look at uh, Isaiah 58, we we can see that healing is partnered up with justice. Let me, ah, there we go. So if we look at verses, we're going to look verses 6 through 8. Is not this kind of fasting, is it it not this kind of fasting I choose to loose the chains of injustice, to unite, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry in Ethiopia and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. See how healing is here partnered with justice. God says, you want healing, take care of people, serve people, give to people. 
And that's what I was trying to do back in that day, even though I wouldn't have put it together so succinctly at the time. In other places, healing is put together with things like confession. Let's look at James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, James says, therefore confess your sins to each other. He's not really saying confess your sins to Jesus, although he is around about, but he's saying confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. See, here in the scriptures, healing is put together with confession. When you study the word healing in scripture and, and look at all the verses, it's always partnered up with different parts and values and supported by those values. So the one, one of the ways that I see that Jesus has come to be a healer is Jesus wants to heal all of it, all of us. Jesus wants to heal all of us. And back in Jesus' day, they didn't compartmentalize things. They didn't say, uh, oh, you've got an eye problem, so you need to go to an eye specialist, and he'll refer you to someone who can operate on eyes, and, and that has nothing to do with the rest of your life. That's how we do it these days. If I go to a, a hip specialist he's, and I have a back problem, he's going to say, no, you're at the wrong specialist. You, I can't tell you anything about backs because you're supposed to go to a back specialist. And then I go to the back specialist. He really doesn't have any help either. <laughs> but maybe. <laughs> I'm not going to get started on that part. But, uh, but in Jesus' day, healing of the physical person had everything to do with the mind of the person and the spirit of that person. It was a whole thing. Now, sure, there were mistakes made in terms of that. Oh, why is this person sick? Because they sinned. And there were mistakes in connecting the whole together. But the truth is, Jesus came to heal it all, heal all of us individually and as a community and as a world and as his creation. So one of the ways that we can look at healing is that to know that when we're thinking about healing for people and for ourselves, we need to think holistically. That Jesus not only wants to heal my body, he wants to heal my heart and soul. He wants to heal my sin, he wants to take it away. He wants to make me like him, which is healing. When Jesus went around healing, it, a lot of the gospels always uh, often pair the phrase together, Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom of God and healed those who were sick from many diseases. Jesus partners it with the preaching of the kingdom, and the kingdom is all about the values that go with healing. So if we can look at healing and look at ourselves as being healers holistically, I think we'll have a start on the road of what it means to heal and what it means to be healed. Accident number two. 
about 20 years ago, and I'm still doing this, I was uh, just had turned 40, and I wanted to take a time alone to kind of think about my life and what has passed and what is coming before me in the next 20 years. So what I do when I like to do that is I go to the desert. I love the desert. I am very much a person who likes to be alone in the desert. And one of the places that I found that I can do that uh, at, in, in certain ways is Lake Powell in, in Utah. I have a little rowboat, and I go out there, and I row my boat back into one of those canyons, and then I hike up the canyons, or I try to find an isolated place where I can be completely alone. Um, now, there's lots of boats in, in, in Lake Powell, but I can find places with my little rowboat that they can't reach. Well, I had done that. Uh, I had done that uh, about 20 years ago. And I was living in San Francisco at the time, had drove out there to Lake Powell, had spent nearly 20 days in, in, in the desert by myself, uh, praying, asking God to guide me, to speak to me, to show me who I am and who he is and what he wants of me. And so I uh, was, I guess I was very much uh, filled with what I felt God was saying to me, and yet I had spent all that time alone. And so when I actually got out of Lake Powell, the first time I spoke to someone, it, was, it startled me because I hadn't spoken out loud. I was speaking up here. So I, I was driving uh, home from Lake Powell, and uh, as I was driving home, the truck, it, it, it was a friend's truck. His name was Mike. Uh, the truck had problems in the wheel. One wheel was loose, and I could feel it rattling, and so I pulled into the town of Ely, Nevada. And in Ely, Nevada, I took it to the shop, and they fixed it. And so the, then the next day, I was ready to start out again. And I actually uh, wrote this down in a journal. Uh, I kept, I've kept journals twice in my life, once when I was in Mexico City, and once for this trip. So I have, I'm not a journal keeper, but I have this, uh, this story written down in the journal. And I'll read you what I wrote there. Uh, day 20. I got the car fixed and spent some time uh, talking to a local. She looks about 50-something and has spent her whole life in Ely, Nevada. I drove out of town at about 10 a.m., then I discovered that I had forgotten Mike's locking lug nut tool back in Ely. So I drove back about 20, uh, 20 miles to town and picked it up and started again. Drove through Cap Capitol Reef National Monument. What a gorgeous place full of wonder. I wouldn't mind living there. Smelled fresh cut grass. What a wonderful smell. Drove on through Nevada. Slept a little while on the side of the highway. Then as I approached Fallon, Nevada, about 20 miles out, there was an accident. I was driving behind a semi, rounding a long curb, when a white pickup ahead of us drifted off the road. Then... 
the driver tried to get back on the road and started sliding. The pickup overcorrected back and then started to roll. Everything in the back of the truck shot out as if it was catapulted. I can still see this in slow motion. The truck rolled several times very violently, shattering the gas, glass and crushing the cab's roof in. Then everything came to a rest. The truck right side up in the left lane of a two-lane highway. I was stunned. I hesitated out of fear. Then I got out of Mike's truck. The trucker had already run over to the pickup as I came up. As I came up, the trucker said, this is so bad, they are beyond help. Forget this guy. He, he won't make it. It's too bad. It's too bad. I glanced in the driver's seat and saw a woman. She lay still crumpled up in the seat. I felt for her pulse. I looked at the man and saw that the cab had crushed his skull. I walked around to his side, feeling overwhelmed. I cried out to God, Oh God, please help these people. Oh God, oh God, oh God. I felt absolutely lost and weak. The woman began to come to. She wanted out. She asked me to undo her seatbelt. I saw the man's head was bent over and he was having trouble breathing. I searched for a towel or a rag to stop the bleeding. I found a white dish towel and ran around to his side. I looked at him. His arm was showing bones and tendons. His head had a large hole opened on top. His, forte his forehead was split. I was certain his back was broken. I had no idea where to put the towel. Nothing was gushing blood. Oh God, the woman became restless and shouted. The scene smelt of alcohol. She smelled of alcohol. I asked her name. It sounded like Teresa, but she corrected with Rosa. She asked about Larry. She said, she, she said no, I said, He's really bad. He's, uh, he's really bad. She thrashed around and climbed out the window. She asked if she had hit anyone else. I told her she didn't. She asked us to help Larry. She started crying, saying, It's my fault. I should die, not him. I want to die. I love him more than anything. Please help him. I said, Only God can help him. Let's ask God for help. She started wailing and begging God to help Larry. I am crying and shaking. I rub her back to let her know that she is not alone. Others come. A man lifts Larry's head up so that he can breathe. He asks Larry his name, but there's no response. Rosa tries to get to Larry to let him out. I calm her down. The ambulance comes. They ask me to keep caring for Rosa while they work on Larry. 
I continuously rub Rosa's arm to comfort her. Others come and make shade from the hot sun. I feel huge drops of sweat running down my chest. Others tell her that everything will be okay. I know this is not true. I look at the road scattered with household goods and see a keychain in the center of it all. It has the letters WWJT. In my heart, I cry out, what would Jesus do? What should I do? The paramedics came for Rosa, and she looked into my eyes and says, thank you. I tell her that I will be praying for Larry. I pick up a small stone from the side of the road. I stand and walk away. As I do, I bend down and pick up a small piece of glass, a, a glass to remember Larry and a stone for Rosa. I fill out the police report. Then I drive away crying, trying to understand anything about what just happened. In the weeks that follow, I, by the grace of God, begin to understand what happened. In the desert, I came to see that I am not a godly man, not a spiritual man. I am a regular brother, and also that God is not finished with me yet. First, these thoughts seem totally disconnected from the accident. In fact, I first saw the accident as a test. What would Jesus do? He would heal and fix the situation, I thought. He would act with authority. Then I connected it with my desert time. I am a regular saint. God hasn't given up on me. I realized that Satan wanted me to see it as a test. God wanted me there as a gift. Satan said, if you are a son of God, Dan, heal this man. Take authority here. God said, I am already here, and I wanted you, and I wanted you here too. Why do you think your truck had problems, and you forgot the lug nut tool, and became tired and took a nap on the side of the road? You were on my timing. I wanted you here, Dan, you the regular saint, not St. Francis, not Mother Teresa, not an angel, but you, God wanted someone weak who could cry out to him, someone with nothing to give but a loving touch and heartfelt tears. WWJD was not a challenge. It was a sign of God's presence and work in these people's lives way before the accident. It was a sign of what Jesus was doing in me. God had not given up on me, he wanted me with him then and there. I am a regular saint and God's man because in my weakness, God becomes strong. Satan tried to leave me with horror and emptiness and failure. God wanted me to be there with, with him. God had not given up on me or Rosa or Larry. The thing that I learned about healing from this experience, from my knowledge of the scriptures, is that healing 
comes from a place of vulnerability. God came down to earth as a baby. What is more vulnerable than a baby? Who is more vulnerable than the little teeny baby? God became vulnerable in Jesus. Vulnerable means open to attack or easily wounded. Jesus became easy to wound in order to heal. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, we read this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And we'll keep going. It is not, nope. Is that all we have? I must have got the verse wrong. Let me look here. Oh, it's verse five. But he was pierced and for our, for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. It's by the wounds of Jesus that we are healed. Not by the strength of Jesus, but the wounds. Being a wounded person is inevitable in this world. Being a wounded person is inevitable in the church. But how can we use those wounds in order to bring healing to others and to ourselves? Jesus leads the way. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 21, says this. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins and in his body, in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That's that holistic healing that Jesus came to bring. Jesus brings holistic healing by being vulnerable and being wounded. And Jesus calls us to go out and be healers through our vulnerability and our woundedness. Story number three, accident number three. This one's a much shorter accident or longer, depending on how you look at it. This, uh, a few, uh, two years ago, I went back to Lake Powell. I've gone to Lake Powell many times because it's such a great place for me. And I went back to Lake Powell and was praying. And at the time, Kelly and I were going to no church. We had left a church in the city when we moved to Arvada. And I had gone and looked for churches and did church hopping. And how many people love church hopping? Oh, yeah. Raise your hands if you love it. it is, it's a terrible thing. <laughs> I don't know why it is, but it is. it's very hard. I had gone to maybe 20, 30 churches in Arvada and just didn't 
connect. So uh, I stopped, and we were not going to church for a couple years. And then I went to Lake Powell, and one of the things I felt God was saying to me in Lake Powell was, Dan, you need to be in a community of, of other believers. You need to be in the church. But God, the church is so screwed up, I would say. Like, how do you come? You want me in something that's so screwed up? And he's like, nope, still want you there. Still want you there. So I came back, and I drove, uh, drove into town, came into the house, and I said to Kelly, I think we need to start going to church again. And Kelly said, yep, that's the same thing I was feeling while you were God. So uh, we decided, it was basically eeny, meeny, miny, mo. We said, hey, you, we saw that sign out by the road out here by Wadsworth. And, and I said, well, how about that church that has that sign out by the road? Let's just go there and we'll just stay there whether we like it or not, and we're just going to crash and burn, you know. This is just going to be accident by design. We're going to drive in, and we're going to go in, and we're going to go, okay, here we are. We're part of this church, and that's what we did. Praise God it was a decent church, right? God knew that accident was about to happen, I think. One of the things about healing that's important, along with wholeness and vulnerability, is community. Now, I know lots of people these days who will have nothing, who are Christians, and they will have nothing to do with the church. And in some ways, I don't blame them. I was there. I mean, the church... It's supposed to be a place of healing, and it is. But it's also a place of wounding, right? How, if I, how many people have been wounded in the church? How many people would raise your hands? I mean, I'm afraid to ask. Yeah, there's. Some, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that. Hand. I've been wounded in the church. Uh, just a quick little story about my, just one of my wounds in the church. I was a pastor in Nevada. Uh, that's how come I know the town of Ely is called Ely and not Eli, Nevada. Because before I went to Nevada, it was Eli, Nevada. And everybody in town goes, welcome to Ely. You know. So anyway, that's why I know that. So I was a pastor in Nevada. And uh, I went to a small traditional church out in the middle of the country in a small town called Lamoille. I thought it was some small Jewish community because Lamoille sounds Jewish to me. Come to Lamoille, you know. I don't know why. I, I thought it was going to be Jewish or something. Anyway, I was a pastor in that town, and they were used to a traditional religious environment. And I came, and I was preaching about following Jesus and, and discipleship and, and what membership in the church really means. You know, when they thought membership in the church meant you came once a year. Or you gave some money. You didn't have to come once a year if you give some money to the church. And I'm like, no, that's not what it means. And anyway, so I'm preaching this stuff. So I don't blame people in church, but a lot of people left. And uh, I also would say things uh, like, 
You know, if God, if, if we don't forgive one another, God will not forgive us. Because that's what Jesus says. We don't hear that, that often. But I would say, you know, brothers and sisters, if we don't forgive, God will not forgive us. Well, there was one guy in the church that was a deacon. He didn't like that. But he was shy, and his wife came to me and says, you know, my husband, she, he doesn't like that. He can't forgive certain people. So he doesn't want you to say that anymore. I'm like, well, that's in the scriptures, and I'm going to say that more. I'm sorry. She's like, no, he wants you not to say that anymore. And she's like, I've never heard that. We've been in church for years. I've never heard that before. Uh, and we were going to have a meeting at our church the next week of all these pastors, and I said, why don't you come to the meeting and ask all these pastors if they think that's true or not? Well, eventually they decided that he also talked to me, and he decided he can't forgive, and he doesn't want to be told that he needs to forgive if God's going to forgive, and he left the church. And lots of people were leaving the church, uh, but lots of people were coming as well. Well, he went to a church in town in Elko, Nevada, and one day we had the pastor's meeting, which is called Presbytery. We had it in Elko, Nevada, and I went to the pastor's meeting, and as I'm sitting there in the courtyard of that church, lo and behold, this guy, uh, his name was Tom, no, no offense, but his name was Tom, and uh, he's walking across the courtyard towards me. So I stand up and I say, hey, Tom. And he looks at me, and he gives me a, a scowl, and he turns, and he goes like this, and he walks the other way. <laughs> we can be wounded pretty. I mean, it's a little thing, but it hurts. Uh, but he had been made an elder in that church. Do we have time for a little funny thing? Yeah, Maybe. God has a sense of humor. That guy walked away from me with a, scrowl, a scowl. He knew that when I preached in Lamoille that I was talking about the importance of giving and how you should really give a lot, give your money and share with people what, those in need. Um, he didn't know that I had this rule of my own that every time an offering plate was passed, I would give everything I had at, for a time. I would just give everything I had to the offering plate. Well, that day I had a quarter in my pocket. Guess who was taking the offering? Tom was taking the offering, <laughs> and God wanted to humble me, so Tom comes by, and he's looking at me as I put my quarter into the offering plate. Oh, you know, I'm thinking, he's thinking, oh, he's giving a quarter. How generous of him. Anyway, it was a little bit of a humility in that whole scene. Needless to say, uh, we become wounded by things that happen to us in the church, and yet, the solution is not isolation. I have many I have friends and family who are, at this point, done with church. But the solution is not in isolation. Maybe you don't come back to the church. Maybe they don't come back to the church. But you've got to find a community, a spiritual community of followers, of lovers of Jesus to heal you because healing comes through community. When Jesus became a baby and came to earth, he was surrounded by community, by a family, by the shepherds, by the angels. Later, he 
created his own community of disciples. He also was in community with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Healing comes through community. This is why I've made it a discipline of mine to come to church. You might think I come because I just love coming to church. It's very hard for me. And being an introvert doesn't make it any easier. But I've made it a discipline in my life because I know it's that from you all, I will receive healing. I'm going to receive some wounds as well. And you're going to receive some wounds from me. But if we can move past those wounds that we give to each other, we could find real healing from each other. I've already found abundant healing from being in a church with a pastor who respects, loves me like Ryan. So what's healing about? I do think it's about wholeness and about vulnerability and about community. I'm not sure how it happens. I've prayed for so many years and lots of people have prayed over me because I have migraine headaches. I've had them for 55 years. I have not been healed. So I'm no pro at this. But somewhere in there, I know that God does want to heal me. In the very end of the scriptures, in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, we can put this up. There's a great picture of just peace and healing. Then the angel showed me a river, the river of the water of life, as, crystal clear, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and, for, and the throne of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city. This is the new Jerusalem come down from heaven where we'll all be together in the end. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Being Looking for wholeness and being vulnerable and being community is somewhat like being a leaf on that tree of life, a leaf of healing. But what does a leaf need to do before it becomes healing? You have to pick it, dry it, crush it, boil it, and drink it. That's the life we're called to. We're called to be leaves of healing on the tree of life for the world, for the nations. It means we suffer. And as we move to communion, Ryan will lead us in what that means.